0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. I want to remind you that this podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. So thanks to the folks at Slugger. Thanks to Aaron Fitt for coming into the uh, podcast up with me today. Aaron, I kind of missed you this weekend. We didn't get together a college baseball game. No, no, yeah. together. That's because uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, just wasn't tempting enough for he was it?
1: A lot, a lot else going on this weekend, but I did catch uh, some action over in Durham at uh, the Duke-Virginia Series. And Coldest spot in the Triangle.
0: The Siberia of the Triangle, Jack that. Coombs
1: Field. It is pre- pretty pretty weird how, how that works.
0: It's just... Uh, it is weird. It's a very cold ballpark. But they have a press box now. Did you know that? I've seen it tweeted out, and that's good to know because I'll be doing next Saturday's uh, Notre Dame-Duke game. Mm. Um I don't know if the people at Duke know this, but uh, that game's being produced by the crew that produces all the North Carolina games. So Kyle Lang and his crew. So they're they're calling in the Tar Heels to do the job uh, over at Duke for baseball. But I did not know that they had a new press. I just knew they they're tweeting pictures and they were, It's really far back, right?
1: Yeah, it's not that bad.
0: I mean, it's not that bad. It, okay. it's, it's it's at the top of their grandstand, but it's not like their
1: grandstand is that that large.
0: But is there still a roof on it? Because you're at the top and there's a ball deep to the outfield. Can you see it? I think so. I didn't spend a whole lot of time up there. I was down
1: below
0: more. So you mean like on top, on top? Yeah. Oh, okay. So like at an old minor league stadium. Yeah. If anyone's ever been there, that's a cold ballpark. And there's a good reason that Duke plays home games in ACC play at the Durham Bulls Athletic Park, Um, which was why Aaron thought it was a real problem last year that North Carolina State and North Carolina were posing for pictures at Duke's home park. Right. I never think of the DBAP as Duke's home park. And the DBAP going, undergoing reconstruction and renovations this offseason, so Duke hasn't been able to play there. And with all the adverse weather that we've had in North Carolina, as we've had around the country, um, I'm not sure if that ballpark's going to be ready by the time Duke wants it to be ready, but um, the Blue Devils on their way back. Virginia still won the series, Aaron, but despite winning a series this weekend, Virginia falls out of the, from the top of our rankings, and it's been inexorable, and we've had lots of comments about it on our website. And there's been commentary around the college baseball world about it, but finally South Carolina, 15-0, and, and it wasn't so much sweeping brown, Aaron, It's just as in totality, with their eight shutouts in 15 games, we could not, uh, we felt the game cost could no longer be denied the top spot in our rankings. Is that a quick summation, or, or a long-winded <laughs> Manuelian summation of how South Carolina's our number one team?
1: Yeah, I'm, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, first of all, it's just, you know, I just think they've played better baseball, and... and and it's hard, it's hard to, to read too much into it because of the competition level, with the exception of the Clemson series. Right. And, and it's not like they played great baseball all weekend against Clemson. I mean, you know, they almost lost Sunday. They were down the last strike in the ninth inning, down two runs, and they almost, you know, they were down five runs early Friday. So it's not like they, were, they dominated those games, but they did win them. They showed certainly a lot of um, perseverance. And the other games that they played against lesser competition, they have utterly dominated. Um, so it's not just that they're fifteen and zero. Their schedule is soft.
0: It's soft, With
1: the exception of Clemson. It's really soft. Um, I mean,
0: but Bucknell this weekend well, it was opening weekend. This weekend was Brown. Eastern Kentucky was the other team. And Brown playing its first games of the year. Yep. So it's not easy to ever for an Ivy League team to go play at an SEC team. That said, we did see Yale go down to LSU and win a game. That's true. So you know the fact that Brown now Brown played a one-run game Sunday. But they didn't win any games. If <laughs> South Carolina had, certainly if they'd lost one of those games, they would not be ranked number one right now. But they didn't lose those games. Aaron, is it safe yeah. to say that this team is kind of finding some way? It seems like they are finding different ways to win. One, one easy way to win is shut teams out. Eight combined shutouts. No complete game shutouts yet, but eight combined shutouts for the team. But second, it feels like that those Clemson wins, it's not just beating Clemson. Those those games are going to go a long way this year because South Carolina will never believe it's out of a game when you're down to your last strike and you still come back and beat right. a good team like Clemson.
1: And that's that's really, I feel like, uh, embedded in the fiber of that program. You know, at this point, after those two championship runs, right? Uh, it's just it's in their DNA now. They always think they can win, and they, they you know, and, and they, they come back from behind a lot. Um, so I agree. I think that the the, the Clemson series um, kind of further, furthered that mentality. Um, but, you know, I just think that uh, right now, those three teams at the top, I mean, I, I guess you could, you could say South Carolina has, has played the best of them. I mean, I, I think Florida State has also played very well against, I think, a, a stronger schedule overall. Correct. Um, I agree. They've lost a couple of games. They did lose a, a game against Maryland this week, but it was a 4 and one week. I mean, you could have put Florida State number one. You could have kept Virginia number one. They went on the road and, and won a conference series, two out of three. Um, but to me, the, the thing about Virginia is they're just not scoring a lot of runs. And, right. Um, at this know.
0: point, they're not who we thought they were. You talk to scouts, and they rave about the Cavaliers' lineup, the depth, how many players at have to write up, how good this lineup looks on paper, how good it looks on the field. If you look at the scoreboard here, they're just not putting up runs. Uh, you saw them this weekend, yeah. second time you've seen them. What have you seen in a couple of these weekends? I mean, it's only a game here, a game there, a couple games in, in Wilmington early, and then this weekend was one game against yeah. Duke, you saw him. I mean, what, uh, what stands out in your mind about why they're not putting up runs? I
1: don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I mean, you watch them, and it, like you said, I mean, everything looks great, you know, and it just, for whatever reason, it, it's not like they're even racking up a ton of hits and leaving runners on base. They're just not getting that many hits. Um, some of it is, is hard hit ball at people. There's been some of that certainly, uh, but you know they just they just haven't hit their stride yet for whatever reason, and and they will. I mean, six weeks from now, I, I'll take their offense over any offense in the country. I still believe that. I'm still convicted about that.
0: Absolutely, I agree there too. But
1: right now, they're they they have not performed, um, you know, the way we expected them to offensively, and, and their pitching has been good enough that they've they're still sitting here at. at uh, well, they had three losses with well, 11-3 and three or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 11-3, They're doing fine. I mean, they're doing fine um, because their pitching has been outstanding. You know, this weekend, um, you know, Nathan Kirby, boy, that guy's really emerged as a true number one. Yep. Uh, Brandon Waddell's back on track. Sabor's on, on Saturday, the middle game, I thought had good stuff. Uh, he's up to 93-94, and he's got a really good breaking ball when he, when he gets it right. and um he just wasn't throwing strike, he Walked eight guys. Right. And the zone was inconsistent,
0: but you walk eight guys. I mean, you know, it's just not getting it done. So you can't blame the umpire, but so much when you walk eight guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Aaron, which direction do you want to go? We well, have three options. We could talk ACC because there's the opening of conference play there. Although none of those league, none of those conferences were really too con- uh, uh, too interesting. You're, you're no. saying no to that. No to that. We could go to the SEC and see how this league has set up going into conference play, or we can talk about what we talked about in our Top 25 meeting, which is the utter lack of offense in college baseball right now, and just how wild wild some of these scores are. There are a lot of extremes. Let's just talk about that. There are a lot of of extremes out there, Aaron. You've got, how many no-hitters have we had so far this year? It feels like six. Well, let's see. Five, it's six? basically it's been like
1: one every other day for the last week here. I so mean, was starting, a BYU kid. There was Colt Mahoney. BYU on Thursday. There was the, the Jace perfect Fry. game Tuesday. Javi Salas. There was Jace Fry, and then the Alabama combined no hitter uh, on Saturday against Mississippi Valley State. Yep. And then there was one last weekend with. Uh, uh, a Jake Maryland Stinnett. kid. Yep. Jake Stinnett Maryland. Maryland. Prior to that, what we have? There were at least two before that. Um, that's seven.
0: I think, think, I right think that's about where
1: we are. I think we're about seven.
0: That's a lot. That feels like a lot. Yeah. Um, I know that at the major league level, no hitters seem to come in streaks. In college baseball, I feel like when I saw that Javier Salas was only the 20th perfect game, that struck me as which, not correct.
1: Which, which actually it was not, as it turned out. The okay. later, later, I guess, did some more research and found that some of the perfect games were not logged properly or something in their
0: record book. What a shock.
1: Yeah. So there's actually t-
0: been 23. I still think that's way low. I honestly think that's way low. I think you're going to go back and you're going to. I don't think teams have reported. Oh, I, I don't think these go, always get reported to some central location. A. It could be. And B. Um, I, I wouldn't shock me if they got lost in that. In, in you know the way that they used to do these things. And C. I don't know if they're counting how many times five inning or seven inning or if something gets rained out or that kind of stuff. That's true. You know, so I, I could be wrong. But it's a three hundred some teams, you know, you know two hundred, oh, nearly three hundred teams, and the variance in competition. around you certainly more. I expected. I would. I would expect more. I did more. too.
1: But you know, then I thought about it and looking back over the last decade uh, that I've been here, the only one I can remember is, is Will Roberts of Virginia.
0: Hmm. Um, a couple years ago, I, I I, You know, maybe. Maybe. I have been metal bats, and yeah. the old bats were pretty easy to hit with. Yeah. Um, but there are these extremes. We talked about South Carolina with their eight shutouts already. I mean, Oregon State this weekend, just, you know, they had three straight shutouts until uh, and four out of their five games were shutouts except for the one uh, Northern Illinois game that was extra innings. Um, we've had all these no-hitters. And then at the other end of the extreme, you have a team like Kentucky that just scored you know, 48 runs in two games against Ball State. I think it was 50. I think you're right. I think it was 50, 50 runs. It was a fifty to four over the last two over the last two games of that series. Uh, fifty eight runs in the in this series. What exa- What do you attribute this these extremes to? Because it really just feels like uh, you either get a crazy game or you get a shutout in college baseball. Yeah, you
1: know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's also been there's just been a lot of the, the bland you know three to one kind of games too. I mean, <laughs> it's just a, I was at one of
0: the, I was like one of those this weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the, I still think those are probably the most common kind of games. Um, but, uh, but there have been a lot of shutouts, and there have been a lot of no-hitters, um, and there have been a few instances of, of crazy scoring, but not many. Not, I feel like not nearly as many as we usually see. I mean, it just happened that Kentucky did it twice this weekend. Right. Um, but, you know, I feel like even in the last few years, we've had, we've had some of these games where teams scored a ton of runs um, a little more often.
0: And, Amelia, I if I ask you to pick out what has been this year's most offensive team, is that Kentucky? I mean, to this point, among the top 25 teams in the country, who's been the most consistently offensive team? Because I, I feel like the teams that we thought would be consistent scorers, you know, Virginia and Florida State are, are two that jump to mind. Um, most of the top teams are not making their mark offensively. Yeah. They're doing it with pitching in mean, Vanderbilt, South right, Carolina. Right. Um,
1: Kentucky leads the nation in, in runs per game. I'm sure this weekend helped that average. Sure. 11.4. Um, and you got Georgia Southern. San Diego, Tennessee Tech, Bradley, hmm. and Florida State comes in at six, and then UC Santa Barbara at eight. Um, so there's been a few teams. You know, those teams are scoring between eight and nine
0: runs a game. Um, who was that third team that you had ahead of? Who was that? Somebody's there. Oh, San, San Diego. Diego. That's a shock. With yeah. that post Chris Bryant. Yeah. That post Chris Bryant with a marine layer, <laughs> the Toreros are doing well. That's my segue into the West Coast here. And one other thing that stood out is the West, West Coast has... Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit actually about the West Coast in this podcast because what struck out to us in the, in the Top 25 meeting was, uh, to me, UCLA starting off... And, and I, maybe UCLA isn't the best team to judge this by, but UCLA and Mississippi State were two teams really had a hard time determining what to do within the rankings. We ended up dropping both teams significantly to 24 and 25 in the rankings. Kind of our put-on-notice spot. Like, if we drop these teams a lot, if you have another losing weekend or a modest weekend probably going to move out of the rankings in favor of other teams. Yeah, The Brewers have had a difficult year to quantify. It's really tough to know how good this UCLA team is. They took a step back with the injuries that they uh, had with, we talked about, Kramer, Williams' shorter term, Felia and Kramer out for the season. Um, then they come east, play in the Irish Classic, and just get fantastic pitching from Caprillion, Poti, Watson. Sweep those three games. They gave up one run in those three games right. against NC State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. And they go back to the West Coast, and they go one and three. So you have these two weak, losing weekends to Cal Poly, and then in the Dodger Town Classic, or what was formerly, the artist formerly known as the Dodger Town Classic this weekend. It's just the West Coast is that tough, with a travel factor. Um, it, 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 feels like the, it feels like we had a lot of teams. The Mississippi State was another team that went west, played UC Santa Barbara and Arizona, as you talked about in weekend preview. And they went one and three. It feels like that when West has met Midwest or East, West has had the better of it so far this year.
1: And Fresno State, when they went um, out to, to uh, rather when, when Texas A and M went out to Fresno last right. weekend, Fresno swept that series. But then you had Tennessee go, go to Arizona State this weekend and take two out of three in Tempe. So that's great a point. One. And also
0: UNLV came East and got swept. You know, he's yeah. not an elite team, but a good team, a regional yeah. caliber team right. came to Rocky Top and, and got and got swept. So Tennessee, we'll get to the volunteers in a minute. But first off, on the West Coast team, I mean, we've had these internet And then signs. San Francisco
1: this weekend, they swept that tournament up there in the Bay Area. They beat Arkansas in two lanes. That's right. And Arkansas comes that west day. and goes
0: one and three. Yep. So uh, do you think that's, is that could that be weather related or is the West Coast is the better year on the West Coast? We, we talked at the beginning of the year, we had three or four elite uh, Pac-12 teams, but there were no teams in the t- Pac-12 ranked after number 12. I think we only have what, three or four pac twelve teams in our preseason top twelve. There's yeah. Oregon, Oregon Three. State, UCLA. Um, what, what do you what do you make of the West Coast strength to this point in the season?
1: You know, it's funny. I still feel like the the uh, the Pack twelve is kind of what we thought it was. It's it's Oregon and Oregon State are the best teams. Then you have UCLA hanging around at the back in top twenty five. We don't know what to make of them. I just right. it's, you know it's strange. And, and you know this goes to, to Ted Dintersmith's question for the podcast. Yeah. Also this week, former former. Podcast sponsor, Ted Dintersmith, wanted to know if you can remember uh, a start to the season where two teams that were in the championship series the year before had this kind of uneven start to the year. Right. Um, and it is, it's been weird. I mean, they, they are
0: yo-yos, because one week they play great, the next week they're, you know, they don't. <laughs> of course, Aaron, I instantly think back to the 90s. <laughs> but in 1999, actually, USC was our preseason number one, and they struggled. They made it to regionals, but they did not have a good year. They struggled all season. Um, and Arizona State, which was the runner-up that year, wound up out of regional play. Uh, first year, the 64-team field, and um, that was a year where the, the committee really made an effort no. to uh, have a, a more uh, teams from non-power conferences. So UCLA, I mean, Arizona State, I should say, was on a borderline that year. They went 12-12 and 12 in the Pac-12 and 39-21 and 21 overall. And they didn't have a great RPI because their non-conference schedule was really bad. Um, but they didn't get a regional bid, so that's the last time I can think of two finalists that really struggled the next year, although you think of any year where Georgia might have been a finalist. Yeah, I was thinking Georgia and <laughs> Fresno State 2009. following year. I think Fresno was a force in the next year, or did they not even make the regionals in 2009? That might be the next, just the year I would think of. The following year, Georgia went w- went 16-37 and 37, um, in
1: 2010, but uh, but they started started out you know, okay first two weeks, and then they really went in the tank, but... That, that might be the the answer, and then I can't remember what, what Fresno did that year. Fresno was,
0: uh... I don't think Fresno was that good in 2009. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But anyway, a little... Well, they they won
1: the whack that year in 2010, so... Okay. They did okay, but uh, they started out poorly in the, the first few weeks. Um, actually, they were in deep hole, that's right, and then they, they rallied after that, so... Um, anyway, that would be the answer, I suppose. Yeah, 2009
0: time. and uh, 1999, or two years, we could both think of it. Where the previous year's finalists kind of went off the rails uh, somewhat early, but in 2009, Fresno rallied and got back in a regional play. But you know, UCLA- I was
1: looking at the wrong year, anyway. It was like
0: the 2010, so okay. forget it. What do you feel? How do you feel about <laughs> you, how do you feel about UCLA and Mississippi State's chances now? This time last year, when Mississippi State got the bad year. You said, "Still going, Omaha, Johnny? Book it." Yeah, and you were absolutely right. Your faith in the Bulldogs was borne out. Um, Do you have similar faith this year in the Bulldogs or the Bruins? Um, No.
1: Um, I'm I'm certainly not as convicted in Mississippi State uh, as I was last year. Um, But I I do like them more than I like UCLA at this point. Talent-wise, Mississippi State seems like their
0: talent is still... uh, There's still a lot to work
1: with there there for John Cohen and company. And I'm not worried about some early... you know, Like like John Cohen said in weekend preview last week, um, you know... He, um, I take the Skip Bertman school of thought, where you know we'll we'll take some early losses in order to figure out what we got. You know, put a bunch of guys in different combinations and figure all that stuff out. And I, I think that's fine. And, and I do like their their talent. They have some young players that are still getting settled. Um, their pitching has been inconsistent, which is a little bit of a surprise to me, especially in the bullpen. You know, right. I, I thought this, they were going to be the best bullpen in college baseball, and they haven't been so far. But um, you know, Jonathan Holder. Being back to, to full strength helps a yeah, lot. Yeah, getting extended
0: this weekend, yeah. and, and they still have. It feels like so many options back right. there. With Holder now Lindgren in the bullpen, yeah. um, Ross Mitchell. Mitchell. So they feel like that's Jen still a Street. strength.
1: Yeah, it certainly it is. So I'm. No, I think ultimately, I think Mississippi State will still be, um, you know, right near near the top of the SEC and um, an Omaha contender. I could definitely see them back at Omaha. I'm not going to say book it because uh, <laughs> I think they have more more flaws than they had last year.
0: I and mean, they don't have. I mean, let's face it. Adam Frazier and Hunter Renfro were two good reasons. Renfro was off to a great start last year when the team wasn't, and Adam Frazier was probably the best shortstop in college baseball last year. If he wasn't the best, he was in the top three yeah. uh, from start to finish. So uh, that, 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 those are two pretty big losses. I know they they're happy with their shortstop play so far. Um, that hasn't necessarily right. been the problem, but
1: and I, and I think UCLA to me is just a team that. You know, they're, they're a well-coached team that has some, some scrappy winning players, you know, with championship experience, and they have some pitching talent, um, but they're just, I don't think they're uh, as talented as they were, and certainly losing their two best players, I think, ultimately, will really hurt them. Um, and Caprillion and Petit, so far, even though they were dominant last weekend, they have not shown dominant stuff yet. They've not shown as good stuff as, as they showed last year.
0: Um, so that's a that's a problem. I mean, as, as well as they pitched last weekend, they eighty seven and nineties. Yeah, and that's just not going to get it. Done. That's not what the, they are not who we thought. We they We thought were. they'd
1: be ninety ninety four. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So with, with with better you know secondary stuff even. So um, I I think UCLA to me is a team that will probably find itself out of the top twenty five. Um, and you look at the pack, and we still only have three teams ranked in that league. And then you know Stanford is seven and eight. They they've had a tough schedule. Um, you know, they got a chance, but um, I don't love Arizona's team. Arizona State seems pretty mediocre.
0: Well, Arizona, um, uh, that, that was some revealing commentary by Andy Lopez in the weekend preview, and they played down to the way he described that team. And then you, you throw in the injuries they've had, Aaron. Uh, can you see the Wildcats even make it a regional run? doesn't seem like it's in the cards for them this year. I don't feel
1: like it is, but, you know, they did started well this weekend. They beat Mississippi State and UC Santa Barbara, and then they lost
0: the next two. But um... but it's hard, Aaron, for Pac-12 teams to build good RPIs. Mm-hmm. It's because the non-conference can be difficult. And it's going to be even harder when you look at the fact that three Pac-12 teams have losing records right now. Arizona, Stanford, Washington State. I, I, I think that league is fighting it. RPI-wise, I mean, they may get fewer bids uh, come NCAA tournament time than maybe they thought they would.
1: And I, and I think they will in particular, because I think the West Coast Conference and, and the Big West, especially, are yep, um, better. Are better and and than they than they maybe were. Um, you know, Big West, I think is, hey, that might be the deepest. Well, no, I'm not going to go that far. The, yeah. back, the Pac-12 is deeper, but um, but the back big, the Big West is up. You know, that that's one takeaway. Even though Fullerton lost a series this weekend, you know, Fullerton, Cal Poly, and Santa Barbara, I think are all legit teams. They're all going to be in regionals.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and, and we haven't
0: even gotten to, uh, you know, haven't gotten to UC Irvine yet. We haven't gotten UC to the depth of that
1: league. Irvine is, is off to a good start, and they, they, I think they swept Gonzaga
0: this weekend. Um, you know, Hawaii looks decent. I mean, they were competitive at Texas this weekend. Not like sure. Texas ever blows anybody out. But Hawaii, new to the Big, it's still hard for me here to think about Hawaii in the Big West. You know, I'm just not used to that yet. Um, and then, and then the WCC seems
1: like it's very uh, competitive at the top as usual. Um, Pepperdine is, is one of those big surprises to me. They're better than uh, I expected them to be. I mean, they that that weekend um, was pretty loud. You know, beating UCLA, USC, and Houston. Um, you know, th- those guys are interesting. They're young. I'm not completely buying in yet. Uh, they really have a lot of freshmen, and they aren't necessarily big name freshmen for me. Um, but
0: uh, like you know, you they said, sound interesting. And like you said, San Diego, they went to that weekend sub five hundred record against uh, you know Tulane and Arkansas that are teams that fancy themselves. Francisco. San Francisco, I'm sorry. I'm not sure who I started to off with. Thank you. So USF goes out there. They're sub-500, and uh, Tulane and Arkansas are teams that are looking to make a statement and kind of have a... Especially uh, Tulane, which hasn't been to regionals in a few years, and coming off a home series loss of Sacred Heart, correct? Yeah. And, uh, and the Green Wave gets knocked back again, so kind of a setback for Team Rick Jones out there, but... Um, San, San Francisco did not come into that with some some great records. So how, how many? I mean, what's the most bids the West Coast Conference has ever gotten? Uh, and, and also, uh, um, so that's one question. Yeah. And number two, uh, it sounds like it's a very young Pepperdine team. But Aaron Brown had a, a superlative weekend. Kind of a guy who maybe we didn't think would be there. Uh, wasn't he eligible as a was sophomore last I mean, year? I mean, he was a top what one or two hundred guy. I mean, he was a, he was a top hundred guy out of high school. I mean, he was. Yeah. A, he, was, a, yeah. he, was a, he was a. He was a dude. Uh, So first off, just on the strength of the West Coast, what's the historical precedent? Can they get three bids? And then second, specifically to Pepperdine, what kind of team are the Waves?
1: You know, I feel like usually in a good year they get two. I want to say they've gotten three before, but I I have to go back and look. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I projected them for three before. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But um, this year, I don't know that it's going to necessarily be. I mean, you know, last year they got two. San Francisco got a... and at large, which was which was good for them. And I like USF's team. They have I like their their top two pitchers in particular, Abe Bob and Christian Cecilio. Are two guys that really know how to pitch. Love that name. Great, great. You know, um, feel and you know, it's not overpowering stuff, but they mix and do that kind of stuff. They're winners.
0: What, what, um, what was the sense out there you know, when you were on the West Coast of how the pack of the, how the WCC was changing with the addition of Pacific and then BYU? And we used to have this very compact league of. Yeah. Eight extremely similar schools, all Catholic private institutions in the West Coast, and or at least religious based. I don't think Pacific is. I know BYU okay. certainly is. I didn't think they were. But I thought I thought all the other eight schools in the the original WCC were all Catholic oriented. Gonzaga, Loyola Marymount is
1: not. I think Pepperdine's Ken Starr, Ken Starr motivated
0: uh, centric uh, university. That's a '90s joke again. That's a big shock. But um, they, they, were, and they had such tradition. It was a long-time league. that didn't have a lot of conference reaffiliation. And, uh, did they, was there a feeling that this was weakening the baseball league or changing it at all, or not? Or was that well, not really the any buzz in that league? No, the, people, the, the
1: only thing you hear about BYU is that people think they're, um, they're very dangerous going okay. forward. People are, um, you know, they've got a lot of resources at their disposal, and that, that new coaching staff, from what I hear... You know, people in that league are saying they're really getting after it on the recruiting side. Um, I think, you know, BYU sounds like they're going to be a major factor
0: going forward. Sleeping Giant? Sleeping Giant. I mean, I BYU has its own channel, yeah. you know. Yeah. BYU Athletics are all on Brigham Young's University channel. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty, you know, that that helps. And certainly it's a school that can recruit nationally. Yep. So um, if, if they start changing things around a little bit there. I could definitely see with new energy, the BYU program really being a factor in that league. Uh, but tell us a little bit about Pepperdine. What's, what, what's, uh, besides Aaron Brown, what does Coach Steve Rodriguez have to work with there? You
1: know, like I said, they're, they're a young team. They've
0: got freshman
1: uh, key spots. Behind the plate um, with Aaron Barnett, who's leading that team in a hitting right now. Just a really good hitter. Um, you know, all fields kind of approach. And then Manny Jefferson has shortstop. Sounds like a uh, He's in the lineup for his defense. He's doing a really good job as a freshman shortstop. So. Those two guys are key. Jack Ross is another freshman. Um, They've had some veteran guys step forward. You know, some sophomores like Brad Anderson is is giving them a lift in the middle, first baseman with some juice. Um, You know, Steve Rodriguez likes the balance of the lineup. Um, You know, he says they've got more speed, they've got more power in the middle than they've had in the past. And, you know, they haven't even really um, peaked yet, certainly, because uh, Austin Davidson and Hutton Moyer are two veteran guys that really have have to hit for this team, and they haven't really. They've gotten off to slow starts, so... Um, but you know their their, their rotation is, is pretty good with some strike throwers. You know Corey Miller at the top, just a veteran strike thrower, and Aaron Brown is your Sunday guy. Is kind right, of right. And, you know that's a guy who's a left hander up to ninety two with a sharp slider. I mean, um, and and they got a um, you know Eric Carch in the bullpen is, is a veteran you know anchor back there. So they got some nice pieces here. Um, I'm definitely intrigued by their team. I want to see a little bit more, like I said, before I completely buy in,
0: but uh, right. we did, I'm intrigued. We didn't rank them this week. We did rank UC Santa Barbara going back to the uh, kind of the, West, the Big West's depth, and you wrote about the Gauchos uh, heading into the weekend. seems like it was a pretty big weekend for them because, as you said, they lost that series RPI-wise to NC State. It really would have been a good RPI series for them, win or lose. Um, you know, what would what, uh, what the Gauchos do this weekend well, and uh, what do you see for them going forward?
1: Well, you know, look like they just played really well out there. They they, um, they can hit, and, and, you know, their, their offense is, like it said last week in we can preview, um, you know, they've got more power, and by that he means more guys who can drive the gaps and hit doubles, and that's not so just a bunch of singles,
0: you know? It, 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 I mean, I'm telling you, when somebody hits a home run, I'm I'm, I'm, <coughs> I'm just shocked when Joe Dudek hit a home run for North Carolina this weekend. I was stunned. I just did not expect it. You know, you, just, you look at doubles. When Pittsburgh hit a double against North Carolina this weekend, they seemed like they were just overjoyed to have an extra base hit. Or you look at, I think, Trey Turner, you know, preseason All-American, ended the weekend with one extra base hit. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not happening for any of these offenses. That So when I saw Andrew Checkett say that, that really resonated with me. I think a lot of coaches around the country probably think like he does. Yeah. So The fact they had some older players, some mature players with some presence strength who can drive the gaps, that's a, that's a big deal for them. It is a big
1: deal for them, and, and I, I think their lineup is pretty deep, you know, one through nine. Um, you know, Joey Epperson at the top is a guy that, one of the more dynamic players in the West that doesn't get a whole lot of ink, uh, and he should. I, I wrote about him this past week, so maybe he's starting to get more, but um, he's a guy that can run and hit and do everything, really. Right. Um, and then, you know, uh, Robbie Nesevic and um, Tyler Caressa, I mean, these are guys that, uh, like we're talking about, they're big physical guys, right? They're strong. I mean, Caresa is you know, he's he's filled out a little bit, he's a lanky guy with some leverage in the swing. Um, he's so been a guy
0: for a while, yeah, you know. he has been. Doesn't feel like he's a guy anymore, but um, he's a good college player, yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: And he's so. still probably a, you know, he'd be a top 10 round senior sign for sure. Uh, I bet
0: definitely. So. He's a he fits the profile of a guy who you stretch your budget with by he's a, he's a legitimate top 10 round <laughs> talent. The guy that most scouting departments have probably had a lot of history with there, and they, a lot of teams saw him. He was, what, a 16th round pick out of high school? Right. He's been drafted in college. He's transferred. Still a long and winding room for Tyler Caruso. so.
1: I really like Sam Barbara's
0: bullpen, though, to me. And,
1: and Dylan Heck back in that bullpen. Yep, and you have Connor Bates. Um, you know, you have Dylan Tate, who's, uh, you know, Bates and Tate um, were both top 500 guys out of high school that I really liked. They had a lot of arm strength and projection, and they're taking jumps forward now. Okay. Tate in particular is taking a big jump. Um, and you know, and you've got Greg Molly, who's been fantastic back there. He's taken a velocity jump. I mean, they've got lefties and righties. They've got depth and balance there. Um, and and Robbie Nesivic, you know, that two way guy. He, he kind of got off to a slow start. Uh, wasn't able to pitch right away. I think he was dealing with some health issues, and he came back and threw six shutout against Arizona this weekend. So uh, maybe that'll help give them an answer in the rotation, which they're they're still looking for a little
0: bit. Right, kind of like, almost sounds like a Kansas State situation. A little bit better starting pitching. Yep. That's why they're in the top twenty five. Yeah. And Aaron, we did uh, open up the questions uh, on Twitter at the beginning of this podcast. We've got three or four of them. Let me ask you a couple of those as we'll bounce around. One of them has to do with uh, LSU and Aaron Nola. If Aaron Nola continues to put up video game-like numbers, could you see him going in the top five in the June draft, top three? And I can't see him going three. I can't see him being drafted ahead of uh, Carlos Rodon or Jeff Hoffman or Tyler Beebe. I don't think those three guys are just too good. Uh, if I'm raking college pitchers, I can't see anyone behind those three guys jumping up ahead of those three guys. Maybe with a possible exception of like a wild card, like a left hander, like a Freeland or a Newcomb. Yes. Guys who have velocity. You got guys who are basically this year's Sean Right. You know, if Newcomb stays healthy all year, he's a fresh arm Northeast guy, maybe you could a deal with him. I could maybe see a lefty like that. But Nola is still. Whatever he is, 6'2", 175, or one eighty, whatever. He's not overly physical, and those other three guys have the combination of stuff, physicality, athleticism. I think separates them in scouts' eyes from Aaron Nola. Do you agree with that? I
1: think that's the difference. You're right. Even though Nola will show you some ninety fours and maybe maybe ninety five, um, he doesn't he doesn't pitch there, but uh, he certainly has enough velocity to I think to succeed given sure. his command and his secondary stuff. I mean, you know, he's so good. I mean, I do think right now. Uh, boy, it's, you know, it's hard to find
0: a guy who's performing better than that
1: guy throughout, throughout his career over the course of three years right. there's no pitcher in
0: college baseball has been better that's the thing this is not anything new you know now in high school I remember I know I've made this comp but I don't think it's a good comp he he was compared by some scouts I talked to to Jeremy Hellickson who was an LSU signee obviously in the big leagues of the Rays then since he got to school I think because he's at LSU some of the area guys in that area have said well he's kind of like a better version of Lewis Coleman Hmm. I think he's just different. I think he's just Aaron Nola. Yeah. You know, he has a little bit of a lower slot, I guess, similar to Coleman. But he's not a slinger no. like Lewis Coleman. No, he's not. Um, and he certainly has a better breaking ball than Hellickson, at least at a similar stage of their careers. But like Hellickson, he has just a disappearing changeup, and that's where the role. He's not overly physical like Hellickson, and has that great changeup. That's where those comps seem to come from. But I think he's. I don't think he's necessarily. I don't think either of those comps really apply to you. I think you're you're probably right. I mean, I think he's maybe he's a hybrid between those two guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that's fair. I suppose there's some similarities to those guys, but I just think I agree with you. I just think he's he's Aaron Nola. I mean, he's you know, <laughs> yeah, the track record for a college player is it's just so it's just so impressive. And you know,
0: when you play that schedule, though, also Aaron LSU schedule is oh, man. soft as tissue paper. I mean, that is just a brutally bad schedule. Yeah, um, I don't know if that could. Uh, So part of it is Aaron Nolan is extremely good. He's polished. He has command of good stuff. So let's just get that out of the way. I'm not denigrating Aaron Nolan in any way. But his numbers are video game numbers for a reason. He has it set to easy right now. He's not set to all-star difficulty level. That's a great point. So, I mean, let's just put that in context. He's he's beaten Yale and... HBCUs and such of the Blind and John Manuel. So. I
1: definitely agree with that, but you know when you look at his numbers last year, even in SEC play, it holds up. So.
0: You're right. You're right. I, I do not think that he will go top three. I don't I, think he's that kind of talent. I agree. But I do think he has separated himself from, say, a Luke Weaver or the other. Who was our fourth? Who was, was he our fourth first team all-American, or was it Luke Weaver? Weaver. So I think Nola has jumped Weaver. I like Luke Weaver. I, I'm a big Luke Weaver fan. Uh, been since his freshman year, late his freshman year, first time I saw him out of the bullpen, I was like, okay, this is a little bit different animal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, to me, Aaron Nola is not uh, on talent than one of the top three pitchers in college baseball for the 2014 draft. Mm-hmm. On talent and ability and what he's done in college, he might be the number one or two pitcher in college baseball. The only guy who's got a similar track record to me is Rodon. Nola. Because, uh, to, and, to, to Nola.
1: Yeah, and I think Nola has certainly been the more consistent pitcher than Rodon over I, the course of their careers. And that's absolutely correct. And, you know, I mean, Nola, Rodon does have the big game, Omaha. Track, well, and the, strikeout. like, so the
0: strikeouts. so strikeouts was fifth as a freshman or whatever right. he was. So right. the dominance, at, his mo- at, his, at their best, Carlos Rodon has been better than Aaron Nola. But I think over the course of those three years, you're right. Aaron yeah. Nola's been more consistent, and he's definitely in the discussion. If you wanted one college pitcher to pitch win one game for you, Aaron Noble might be number one right now. Yeah. You know, he might be. Aaron, a couple other questions we have here. Uh, I got Kevin, uh, I don't know his last name, Angevine, St. Louis Morgan and Cajun. <laughs> St. Louis Morgan Cajun is his Twitter handle, <laughs> whatever. Can Cajun's baseball make it back to the Cowboys series? And are uh, you ought to know, I guess that's Austin Robichaud, and Carson Baranic, one of the best one 2 so far this year? Boy, well, Aaron, Carson Baranek sure does look like he has uh, made that leap from a yeah. guy who, again, was supposed to be he was in the same freshman class at LSU with uh, Aaron Nola. Went the junior college route last year, but supposed to be a power arm guy out of high school. And I think he still ha- throws hard, but the efficiency, you said this weekend, uh, a complete right. game in less than 90 pitches. Right. Pretty outstanding start for the Raging Cajuns. No doubt. No doubt. But I guess a little question, though, this weekend with Milhorn, the number three starter, coming up uh, with an injury, correct?
1: Yeah, that'll be something to monitor. I guess it was a, they said they said it was a strained oblique from the report that I read. Um, he's certainly a key guy, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but uh, you know, you, you'd imagine he'd be able to come back from something like that. Um, just speculating, but um, you know, absolutely. I think that this this one-two punch is really good, um, and that's. That's why you know this this team we were we were so high on coming into the year we had a number fourteen we were higher on them than anybody right um and and they're they're now I'm I'm in even more because right because Beranick and and Milhorn they, they have been good be. that's yeah. it and that was that was the only question mark for me it was okay these guys have the ability will it translate to the Division one level and it has and you know yes it was Texas Southern this weekend uh, but they played good team they they went on the road to Southern Miss and swept it and. No, these guys have performed, and and you know their offense is very very good. Yes, I think they're an Omaha team. I I think they have that kind of upside. It doesn't mean they're definitely going to get there, but I definitely think that they've got a real good shot.
0: Just going to tell you, um, Kevin, that uh, Aaron has been talking about Louisiana Lafayette for Omaha since the first time he was getting questionnaires and yeah. started formulating his team, his uh, top twenty-five, and uh, basically looked at it and said, you know, Johnny, I've got uh, I've got these guys number two in the fit matrix. So, Lafayette, we're not new to Lafayette. That's a, that's a really good-looking uh, club. Um, yeah, that definitely was Austin Robichaud's uh, Twitter handle because he's favored of that tweet. So. Nice. Uh, so, hello, Austin. Um, William Henderson, Jr., here in the uh, Triangle area, asking how big is it if freshman third baseman Andrew Kisner can't play for NCSU against Florida State this weekend? I, I don't know the status of Andrew Kisner, but I just know that he's important in their lineup. Um, having seen the Wolfpack three or four times this year, uh, he's one of their best hitters so far. And he provides power, right-handed power to that lineup. i tell you, his, uh, he's got fast hands, and he has present size. And, again, we're talking about power, Aaron, in the context of power. Um, he has power. He has extra base power. He has home run power. And that's a big factor for any team. But I still think with NC State, which swept Notre Dame this weekend, Th- their season is going to go as far. They're going to go as far as their starting pitching takes them, and uh, they've got a great weekend rotation with Rodon. Logan Journey has really made a step forward this year. Yes, and Brad Stone, the sophomore. Something that Mike Rooney of ESPN brought up on Twitter. I, thought I wanted to ask you about them, though. How concerned are you with a team like NC State that's so junior-heavy? We've seen so many teams that are so, you know. We- and you wrote about it earlier this year with a draft, basically during the NCAA postseason. Right does that concern you at all about NC State? Because that, if, if that's an issue, which I think it is potentially an issue for them, a guy like Kisner, who's a freshman, is even more important. I think they're going to rely on him even more than they think they are, because he won't be thinking about the draft come June.
1: You know, the, there is a school of thought that a lot of, you know, the teams that have a lot of sophomores that are really talented um, are, are, are better suited to make deep postseason runs right. because of that. and. You look at recent years, I mean, some of these teams that have been loaded with juniors. Look at North Carolina last year. Right. They had all the expectations and a lot of juniors. Right. Um, and hey, they still got to the Final Four.
0: Right. You know? Um, they went 59 and 12. Right. <laughs> Every time I look at that record, it kind of blows me away. They, they didn't lose back to back games last year. That's insanity. Yeah. Or Florida in 2012. That's All the I those was expectations. Bring up. Yeah. 2011, I should say. Hey, Let's put it out. They didn't win the national championship. I think and they, they went 0-2 in Omaha. They went 0-2 in Omaha, and they were tight when they got there. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll never forget Nelson, Nolan Fontana. I might forget his first name. <laughs> but I'll never forget one of my all-time personal cheese balls, Nolan Fontana, making an error in the first inning of their first game. There. They were tight. There's yep. no doubt about it. Yeah. But they still but they, were number
1: one overall national seed. I mean, they had a exactly. great year.
0: They had a great year. They had a bad inning to a great year. Um, and they were better... Really, in a lot of ways, the year before when they were sophomore laden, uh, in South South Carolina, draft pressure never seemed like it affected.
1: Oh, well, How about Arizona? Twenty twelve was all. It's a very junior laden team. Yeah,
0: and Alex Mejia and Seth Mejia's Breen. Those guys played their way up it the draft. Higher. They played their way up the draft. Yep. Alex, Alex Mejia did not have fourth round tools. Now he's had a knee injury in pro ball that I think is going to keep him from getting to the big leagues. If he had not had that injury, I thought Alex Mejia was going to be a big reader. But it wasn't on tools. Right. It was He was a savvy, coach-on-the-field playmaker. He was so fun to exactly. watch in Edomohami. Yep. God, that left side of that infield for Arizona was so fun to watch. But I, I think there is that school of thought, and I think that recent teams are debunking that school of thought. That's kind of where you're going. Isn't exactly. It? So I, I, I'm with you on that. And then uh, Guy Roll, who makes me think of Guy Raz on uh, NPR, because I'm an NPR listener. And one of these days, I'll just read an entire question uh, in my really bad Diane Reem impersonation, that none of our readers, uh, none of our listeners will get. Um, but Guy asks, "You now have three good local teams recruiting from the Houston area. What are the long-term implications for Rice?" I guess, Aaron, the bigger implications for Rice are uh, well, they responded pretty well this weekend to the loss of Jordan Stevens. We talked about it on the uh, hangout on Friday. They did move Zach LaMar into the Friday role. He pitched very well, but they had a lot. Man, what a 17 inning game Friday, right. and another extra inning game the next day, correct? I think they were both uh, part of
1: a doubleheader. Okay.
0: On, on, was it Saturday? I think. What a long day of baseball. Yep. Uh, glad I wasn't working those games for ESPN three. <laughs> but um, the long term, I, I don't even have to assume that Rice, even with the rise of the Houston, the rise of Houston's program under Todd Whitting's, not going to make it easier for them. Uh, Sam Houston State being better. Uh, I'm not sure who the third team is that he would be uh, referencing. He, uh, well, Texas A&M maybe. I mean, they've always I think he's saying
1: there. you have three good local teams. I are, see. So that's Rice, the third. Houston, and Sam Houston.
0: So, uh, but I think the bigger implication for Rice's long term is that you know Wayne Graham's not immortal. You know, he can't live forever. He's 78 years old. Right. Um, that's pretty. That, that's the bigger issue to me, isn't it? For you, long term for Rice?
1: Yeah. Who is Who is going to replace him? I don't know that there is an obvious guy. I don't know. if Maybe. You know, maybe David Pierce comes back and, and takes over that job. That would be uh, probably my my guess. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition. Those are three programs that are strong and heading in the right direction. And absolutely, he's right. It's going to be uh, fascinating to watch how it shakes out. I mean, you know, Rice is still Rice. Right. And they still have Wayne Graham. And they have, you know, the best tradition there and the best facilities and they have a lot of advantages Um, but Todd Whitting is the real deal.
0: Yeah we mentioned Houston in this question this would be a good way to end the podcast. Um, The Cougars were were, were a pretty quality program a super regional team won a couple regionals about a decade ago into Rainer Noble when Todd Whitting was there as an assistant coach. Um, Things went downhill a little bit after that Uh, some ugliness there in the program and they uh, really something they're bouncing back under Todd Whitting, who helped get TCU off the ground. Uh, not off the ground, but really got TCU going as a recruiting coordinator there under Jim Schlossnagel. And probably the talent level at TCU is still quite good. They just aren't hitting Right. Uh, the last couple of years. They fall out of the rankings this week after another losing week and another weekend where they just don't hit. Uh, Brandon Finnegan goes a complete game and double-digit strikeouts again and loses 2-1. to one. It feels like last year for Brandon Finnegan. But... Um, but Houston, they go out to the Dodgers, the, the former early Dodger Town Classic. They beat UCLA, they beat USC, lose to Pepperdine. Uh, what's made this Houston team? We're on the cusp of the top twenty-five and, and a regional contender.
1: They're 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 just they're a good club. I mean, they're balanced. They have a um, they have a good lineup with you know power and speed and all those freshmen that played for them last year are now good sophomores. You know the Montemayors and the Joshua Dallases and those guys. Um, they got a couple of key pieces back from injury. You know Jake Bloomberg. Um, you know and 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 they have i think a, a good rotation too you know with Jake Lemoyne out there and you know aaron garza i mean they, they've they've got uh, they've got a lot of nice pieces in place I definitely think the regional team um they're just outside of the top 25 in this case you know I think losing to Pepperdine kept them out because
0: yeah, brought pepperdine, pepperdine would be ahead of them in the pecking order
1: right and and you know we just couldn't quite pull the trigger on Pepperdine. right um, but they're both right there, you know, and there's a few other teams in the mix there at the back. But I like their team a lot, um, you know. Certainly, we know we know we like San Houston State; they're in the rankings, and yeah, it's it's uh, I think it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a good bounce back year for the state of Texas after a really poor year last year.
0: I guess the other thing I should have uh, mentioned was Tennessee. We didn't talk about Tennessee, new to the rankings. Was I wanted a Twitter question about uh, Keegan Thompson? Is Keegan Thompson the early favorite for Freshman of the Year? And how did he go undrafted? How did he go undrafted? Is that he's um, he was throwing eighty-seven to ninety miles an hour most of last year. And he really wanted top two, three rounds money to go out to, to not go to college and uh, committed to Auburn. I think is like a I think he verbal to Auburn as a freshman. Um, so if not, if not as a freshman and as a sophomore, so hard guy to buy out, and no one even quote unquote wasted a pick on uh, Keegan Thompson. But uh, he was my pick for SEC Freshman of the Year, I believe. Um, really a guy who's got a chance to impact it both ways, and so far he has, right, Aaron?
1: Yeah, yeah, he has. And he's, well, mostly as a pitcher. I mean, uh, he's got a 0 3 ERA right now, um, you know, as a weekend starter. And, uh, you know, he hasn't really got it going with the bat yet, but it sounds like they think he's going to hit, too. Uh, he's a strong, physical guy. I mean, you know, talking to scouts about him when he arrived as a freshman, they said he, he's a perfect guy to recruit because he's, he's physically mature. Right. But, you know, not, not maxed out. Right. But along those lines, he's, he's he's a guy that doesn't have a lot of projection, um, and so you got a pretty good chance to get him to campus, but he's a winner with good present stuff, and he'll, he'll show you you know some better velocity than 80's the 90's, he'll show you some twos and threes, and maybe even fours. he's got a great
0: curveball. Great curveball. That's so he's some, perfectly suited to succeed in college absolutely. baseball. And he's a, just a
1: fierce competitor and a winner, and absolutely he's got a chance to be National Freshman of the Year. And... Uh, I don't know who we wound up picking for that. Oh, I picked Chris Oakey for Clemson.
0: I don't, I don't think I picked Keegan Thompson for National. I don't remember who I picked, mm. but I did pick him for... Uh, I think it might have been Pickford. I think it was, and I think I picked uh, Keegan for SEC Freshman of the Year. Yeah. But, I mean, and then a good weekend for Auburn. They sweep a Mercer team that I think we think is, a, is probably the favorite in the Atlantic Sun Conference, is a chance yeah. to be a regional club. Yeah. Was knocking on the door of the top 25, really, coming into the weekend. Um, before that uh, sweep. So, Auburn loses... Midweek to Alabama, big win for Alabama. Obviously, any Auburn Alabama game uh, is big in any sport, but especially uh, in the sports where the, the schools seem to care about it. Um, so I'm excluding men's college basketball, but but a big deal for Auburn to sweep that series. And you know that's a that's a team with some veterans here. Right? I mean, the Damick Thompsons and Ryan Tellers of the world football they've been around a long time, but they've got a couple of impact freshmen in Greer Anthony Greer and Keegan Thompson, and obviously a new coaching staff. The Sunny that's a big, maybe that's what gets things going for them uh, leading into SEC play. Um, I just think it's going to be really,
1: really difficult sledding for them in the league. No you, doubt. And You've got, you know, I mean, I just think you, you've you got 11 teams already that, you know, with Tennessee now in the rankings. I think, I think <laughs> that makes the, the 11th SEC team that has been in the rankings for four weeks.
0: So, so the only ones we haven't ranked are Georgia, Missouri, and Auburn? I think that's right. That is right. That's insanity. We're four Mm. weeks in, and we've ranked 11 teams. That shows you the difference. We're biased
1: to the ACC, John, obviously. (laughs) Get these people a clue. Get these people a
0: clue, John. Aaron, I saw a great tweet that I almost retweeted uh, from the Binghamton Journalism, uh, head of the University of Binghamton Journalism School, and all it said was, never, period, read, period, the comments, period. So what do I do? What do I do immediately? What do I do immediately after that? I went and read. Uh, the, I just went and just to see what our comment thread was like on the top 45 rankings. Last week it was uh, pretty heated, but um, Tennessee. Real quick, they play. Uh, they they go into conference play next weekend. Uh, what's what's the big? I guess the big takeaway is They went to Arizona State and they won that series. Uh, yeah. You know. So it's, it's and, a, and despite Arizona State being John Manuel's preseason Omaha
1: sleeper. They're not going to Omaha.
0: No, that was a pretty weak pick, too, because it was like, let me take a team that's not in the top 25. I was basically team number 26. Right. Like, but I did like their pitching quite a bit. That was basically a, a vote of confidence of Ryan Burr. So, Ryan, if you're listening, you let me down. Well, Ryan's you know?
1: back in the bullpen where he probably belongs. Him, him and Cedar Roth, too, I think, yep. they're just well-suited for those for those roles. we talked about that. Uh, we what, did. The Google Hangout, but... Um, you know, this is I, still. I just think it's a fairly mediocre Arizona State team. But you, you go to Tempe and win two out of three after already sweeping a good UNLV team, and they're boy, they have one loss in the season. Yeah. Um, I like their team a lot. I like their talent. Um, I don't love their starting pitching yet. Right. And they didn't get great starting pitching this weekend, uh, and they won the series anyway. So they've they've got some perseverance. They do have some depth on the mound. Some of the JUCO guys in the bullpen have been a nice boost. I really like their lineup. I think they're going to hit and defend and be very athletic have some power. Um, they're going to be exciting to watch. I plan on going up there to Knoxville when Vanderbilt comes to town um, in April, I believe, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting a look at those guys.
0: Well, Aaron, we've got a great series to look forward to this coming week, so we will uh, hang out on the uh, Google Hangout on Friday. So obviously send Aaron all your questions that you always have. You always, you guys always do. At He's at Aaron Fit. I'm at John Manuel BA. We're brought to you by Louisville Slugger, and that's been another Baseball America College podcast. Until the next one, so long, everybody.